Well, the moment of truth is here. Um, I want you to consider what is really real this morning. Uh, in all truth, we're going to decide what's really real, either explicitly or implicitly. We're going to live in the reality of the resurrection and the, the glorious coming of the kingdom of God, or we're not. And uh, what I want to encourage more than anything today and for the rest of your life is that you would live in the joy and the light of this kingdom that has come and is coming and will indeed come. Is it just possible that love actually came down in the person of Christ and that love showed up on the cross and in the defeat of the power of sin and death and hell? Is it just possible that uh, there's a story that's being told. There's a story that has been told. There's a story that's being told. There's a story that will be told and that you're in it. Is it possible? And maybe it's a silly motif that I've been using all weekend. It's a six-act play. There's nothing, um, you know, that there's nothing in eternal, eternally written about a, a six-act play. We've been just using it as a motif. But is it possible that uh, what we've captured here is actually the story of reality, that this is what is uh, really, really real? Or is it just a tool of manipulation? Some of our friends uh, and neighbors are, am I too, too low? Some of our friends and neighbors this morning um, don't understand that reality and are are frankly uh, missing that reality. And it's only by God's grace that we uh, understand that reality. Or do we? Is it just possible that God made the world good? Uh, that he made it for his glory? That uh, it, was, it was created out of the overflow of love between the Father and the Son and the, and the Spirit, which has existed from eternity past? Is that just possible that he did that very thing? Is it possible that he put in the garden uh, some human persons who bore his image and he gave them a job? He gave them the most glorious job possible to extend Eden to the ends of the earth and to, and to live in the joy and the gladness of his grace and his mercy and his glory and to, uh, and to out of that, out of the overflow of that love, that they would extend Eden further, and it would, it would be a witness to the, to the outermost ends of the cosmos. Is it just possible that that's true? Is it just possible that our forefathers turned their back on that great promise, and, uh, and we, in our own sin, turn our back on that great promise? That we, we want to take God's place, that there's a rebelliousness in our heart that... that uh, that can be accounted for and will be accounted for, that it's uh, brought destruction into the world and, and that the fall is real and that suffering is real. It's not just an imaginary thing, that, that suffering is not the way it was supposed to be and yet it is a very real thing. Is it just possible that God made a promise that it won't end like this? That uh, he, he called a family a man named Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he called him into the promised land, and he promised him his presence, and he promised him a land, and he promised him descendants, as many as are the uh, as sand on the seashore, as many as stars are in the sky. And he said that he's going to bless them. He's going to love them, and through his love for them, the world will see his love and come to know that. And, and from him will come one who will bring the redemption uh, to the world. That The world will be healed. The glory of God will be known throughout the world as the water covers the sea. There won't be a place where his glory is not known. Is it possible that we have a God who made such a promise? And is it just possible that God himself, and when the fullness of time came, he couldn't stand it any longer. He came and he did something about it himself. He came and he lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we deserved to die, and he rose victorious over the grave to inaugurate a kingdom that will not end. Is it just possible that the prophets were not just waxing eloquently, that one day there will be no more mourning or no more tears, the old order will have passed away? Is it just possible that this is actually the story of our lives? 
and how are we going to respond to it? If I haven't been clear, you know, I've been, I've been talking a lot about the, <clears throat> about the charge that comes from, um, from receiving uh, the gift of Christ and receiving uh, the invitation into the story. But let me be really, really clear about one thing. The very most important thing we can do is receive the invitation of Christ to participate in that. This is what you were made for. Um, your being precedes your doing. Uh, it's only if you, uh, Susong asked me to talk about what it's like to be uh, to live a life, a missional life in the Bay Area. What is it like to be about the the, the mission of Christ in the in the Bay Area? Um, there can be no missional living. There can be no valuable doing. You will not be living in accordance with this grand story unless first you receive the gift. And you receive the gift. Yes, you can receive the gift the first time, but you can receive the gift over and over and over and over and over. And the very fact of the matter is, is that we forget. <laughs> we forget about this gift, and we try to do without receiving first, and we're in big, big trouble. One of the most popular words in all the scriptures repeated over and over and over again is the word remember. Do you know why the word remember is used so often in the scriptures? Because we forget. <laughs> it's very complicated. <laughs> it's because we forget. Friends, if I say anything um, to you this morning and this weekend... Know this, you've been invited in. The story is incomplete without you. Um, there's, there's really one thing that makes God weep, and that's when we reject his invitation. You've been invited in, and there's something about you that would impoverish us if you don't if you don't receive his invitation and if you don't participate in the story, don't impoverish your neighbor. <laughs> receive his good gift. Uh, the gospel is first to be received, and then there's something to do. But you can never, honestly, don't ever go out and do uh, having not received, having forgotten what you've received. Duty, we're, let's just, uh, Susong has been, educating me on uh, the Korean church. And there's, uh, there's an honor uh, culture that goes along with the Korean culture. Um, there's a duty that's uh, very strong. But uh, let me just tell you something. Um, there is a duty in the Christian life, but it's a duty that's a glorious calling. It's a duty that, that, that's raises, raised up from uh, this magnificent invitation and this glorious gift that's been given. And if you forget the gift, don't you dare do the duty. I know that Pastor Seuss will always say, if you come to him and say, Pastor Seuss, I've forgotten the gift and I can't do the duty, he's going to say, come to me, my child. You won't be on the other end of his finger. You'll be on the other end of his embrace because we all, all of us, go through seasons in which we forget, even Pastor Seuss. And he has to be reminded again and again that he's been invited in. This is a God who loves first, and then by his grace, then by his grace, invites us to participate in his mission. I want to just talk about what it means to be an Act 5 person. I hope that motif has been helpful for you. If it hasn't, I'm sorry. But we we are living in Act 5 of the play. And in fact, you go on stage today. In fact, you're on stage now. I don't know if your makeup is all ready. I'm just being silly with you, of course. But I don't know if you're, if you're ready, but you're in it. You're, you're in the story. The kingdom has come. The kingdom will come in its fullness. And God has given us uh, this wonderful privilege to live in the joy of his kingdom having come, and then to be an instrument. If, if we accept this call, and if we accept this invitation in, his, in, a, in the, only the way that you can do it, and it'll look different than me. I like to talk. You might not like to talk. We, uh, we're all made differently, 
but we're all invited in, and we all have a have a role to play and a plan and a part in the in the play. And so, we're Act Five people. You really just cannot if if the scriptures are true, if Jesus has risen from the dead, you, we just cannot deny that. And so, how is it that we're going to how is it that we're going to receive God's good gift, and how is it that we're going to live it out? Uh, I want to read from you a section of Acts, the book of Acts. Um, Acts of the Apostles. Luke wrote it for us, Dr. Luke. And um, I'm going to read you a, a fairly long section, Acts from Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 41. Hear the word of God. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits and all of them were healed. Then the high priests and the associates and, and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and they put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple, and as they had been told, they began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and they sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. They went back and reported, We have found the jail securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one was inside. On hearing the report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled wondering what could have come of this. Then someone said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts preaching to the people, uh, teaching the people. And at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. He said, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and as savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so... And so the Holy Spirit, whom God has, uh, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, the teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them. He said, "Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men." Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied around him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and they came to nothing. After this, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of Atlanta people in revolt. He, too, was killed, and his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose and activity is of, the, of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house. They never stopped proclaiming, teaching and proclaiming the good news 
that Jesus is the Christ. That's the word of the Lord. Well, the Apostle Peter, uh, as you might recall, um, had a rather dramatic life change in a, in a very short time. If you recall, on the night that Jesus was, uh, was put to death, uh, Peter, who was uh, nicknamed the Rock, <coughs> who uh, Jesus had given a very special job to, he said he'll build his church around him, <laughs> uh, denied Jesus three times. Even uh, when a little girl asked him if he was one of the the people, somebody who was uh, so unthreatening, seemingly so unthreatening, he denied Jesus. And when it was all over, Peter was depressed, and Peter was ashamed, and Peter Peter famously went fishing. And uh, one morning when Peter was fishing, uh, Jesus appeared to him and um, made him breakfast. And Jesus uh, forgave him. And he recommissioned Peter. Uh, Peter was a different man after that. Peter was a different man because he knew what the resurrection meant. Peter was a different man because there were both personal implications of the resurrection and societal implications of the resurrection. There was both uh, a, a forgiveness that he had received, a restoration that he had received between himself and with God, between himself and Jesus, but also... There was an implication for what he was to do uh, with the rest of his life. And so he uh, received these promises from God. He received Jesus' forgiveness, and he was restored, and things would never be the same for him. But also, uh, Jesus commissioned Peter with a fantastic, uh, and the other apostles, with a fantastic job, with a fantastic initiative, with a fantastic uh, thing to do. You may remember from uh, Jesus' words in in uh, Matthew 28, 18, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that I commanded, teaching them to obey everything I commanded, even to the ends of the earth. And uh, in Acts chapter 1, it's uh, repeated again. When Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, he commissions the apostles. And uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big commission. It's a recapitulation, quite frankly. It's just a uh, the story retold of the commission that God gave the original human person in, in, uh, in Genesis 1 to go and, and uh, uh, to multiply, to make disciples, and to uh, baptize them, to invite them into the family, uh, and to extend Eden to the ends of the earth. Um, Peter was assured, because of the resurrection and because of seeing the, the person of Jesus, that this plan that the prophets had spoke about was uh, surely in motion, and um, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that has promised to live in you, the same Spirit that has promised to change you, is the same Spirit who came and lived in Peter. He was renewed in that original mandate that God had given us. And Jesus' disciples in every age are meant to go and to be instruments of this new creation, heralds of this new creation, um, uh, givers to the rest of the world of this new creation. I don't know um, if you have the courage to be an Act 5 person, if you have the, um, if it scares you to think about yourself as an Act 5 person. I hope, I hope it's both um, uh, wonders, wonderfully glorious and a little bit intimidating to be an Act 5 person, but the fact of the matter is, is that we're in Christ We are Act 5 people, and the question is, what is the greatest reality? Is that the reality? Or is the reality of your next paycheck the most important thing? Is the reality of your company going public the the most important reality in your life? Is the reality of uh, your your son or daughter getting into Stanford the reality, or you getting into Stanford the, the biggest reality in your life? The Bible says that the, the, the most plain reality in life is that God made the world good. The most plain reality in life is that death came into the world through sin. The most plain reality in life is that new creation has come in the person and the work of, res, of, of Jesus. In his resurrection, he has begun something new. That the, plain, the, the most real reality is that Jesus will one day come again to restore all things. 
And the question this morning is, are we going to live in that reality, or is there a, a, a reality that supersedes that, that we've, that we've taken up and that we've taken on? This is the witness of the scriptures. This is the witness of the historic Christian faith, that this is the reality. And the first job that we have, and the first job always that we have, is to receive that reality, to be received into that community, to be received into, into the into the family of God, and then to receive his mission and to move out in his mission. So the question becomes, are we living in the now and the not yet? Has, has the now begun? Has the kingdom of God come? And are we going to receive it? And how are, are we going to graciously respond to it? Eleven years ago, I moved to Marin County to start Grace Church in Marin. And uh, the, whole, the purpose was really very, very simple. It was to invite a community chasing a different reality into this reality. It ain't an easy thing to do. And the, only, the, the, the thing, that, the, the, the tool that I have at my disposal is the Spirit's power working in me, living in the reality of this. Is, am I a person of hope in the fact that God will put the world right? Am I a person of humility knowing that I have no real standing on my own in, in this Am I a person of authenticity who, who mourns and sees and weeps for um, my brothers and sisters in the community, my friends in the community that are, that are hurting? Uh, that, do I hurt with the, those who are, who are subject to injustices? We imagined what Marin County would look like if the kingdom of God was the motivating reality of the community. Uh, what would it look like if the considerable assets of the community were, were directed toward the purposes of God? Um, we thought Marin has this incredible creative capital, enormous intellectual capital, uh, great political capital, uh, massive human capital, uh, wonderful financial capital. What would it look like if we put that to work for the purposes of God? And as I think about um, your community... Uh, the, the, I think about your church, let alone the broader San Jose community, when you think about the, the, the human capital, the, the creative capital, the intellectual capital that is uh, uh, in and around you, imagine what it would be like if we directed that capital and redirected our, 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 all of our, our good purposes for, for the purposes of God in the world. Um, there's an Australian theologian, his name is John Dickerson, he wrote a book called The, the Best-Kept Secret of Christian Mission. And he talks about uh, waking up uh, one's neighbors to the reality of this kingdom that's come. And he, he puts it this way. He says, promoting the gospel to the world is more than a rescue mission. Though it certainly is that. He said, actually, it's a reality mission. Our plea is, it is our plea to all to acknowledge that they belong to one Lord. The truest reality is that the Lord reigns. Are we on a reality mission? Are we part of a reality mission? Sure, uh, we use language like saved. There's a, there's a rescuing that needs to happen. But perhaps the greatest reality is just an acknowledgement of the Lord reigning. And, and uh, we start there. My whole agenda this weekend has been to help you get your hands around the reality of the risen king, to give you some hooks for uh, understanding this grand story that we're a part of and to understanding the, how Jesus has revealed himself in the scriptures to you um, and how he's inaugurated this kingdom. If one recognizes the reality with one's head and one's heart, God's promised his presence to you his spirit, to enable you to understand that reality more and more with your whole life, with a life of joy, with a life of gratitude, with a life of humility, with a life of promise. Missional living in the Bay Area is about knowing deep down from first to last that the Lord reigns. It's living in the joy of the defeat of death's power. Death still raises its head. Death still is an enemy. But death's death nail has been set. It's about receiving 
the forgiveness that God has given us. It's about leaning into the now of the kingdom in community with one another. We can never do this alone. That God is a community, Father, Son, and Spirit, and he's given us a community, his church. And uh, this is the place where God has called us to live out these realities and to learn these realities and to be empowered to go out in the, in the, in the reality of his, uh, his kingdom having come. It's about getting down to the uh, business of the ways of the kingdom, to learning the sort of the warp and the wolf of, of, of how, how, uh, how uh, we're, we're to live. It's about dying to ourselves and living for others. It starts with your family and your spouse. It starts with your church. It's about learning a way of life that becomes like uh, second nature. There's a picture. Uh, I, I spent my sophomore year in, um, of college, uh, two semesters in London. I think I mentioned that, about being away and, and uh, enjoying theater life. But I was homesick uh, during that time. And uh, on BBC Three, I think it was, at 10 o'clock at night, uh, there weren't very many channels and there wasn't cable in those days. But on BBC Three at 10 o'clock at night, they had, an American, they had some American TV shows. And one of the TV shows uh, <coughs> that played was Cheers. I don't know if anybody remembers the old show Cheers. Uh, you might not remember that show. It's, it, was a, it was a silly show about a, a bar and uh, some guys who came into a bar. And, and uh, the opening bumper uh, had a song. Um, and the song is about a place where everybody knows your name. And so the sort of cheers centered around this bar. But what was more than a bar, it was a community, wasn't it? And it was a place where you could come and everybody knew your stuff and knew your name. And they might give you the business, but they loved you anyway. And it was a very, it was a very, sweet, uh, it was a very sweet show in, in that way. Um, but as the credits are rolling at the beginning of the of the um, of, of Cheers, um, and they're talking about a place where everybody knows your name, and it made me think about being home where, where everybody knew my name. Uh, there's a really fun little clip. It was these old sort of clips from the 1800s, and then it sort of moved into uh, clips of this modern-day bar. And there's a picture uh, that, that was sort of brought up right toward the end of the song, and it's of a barkeep. He's got his apron on, and the bar's wildly crazy, you know, wildly filled up all behind him, and he's holding up a newspaper, and on the newspaper it says, we win. We win. Um, to be an Act 5 person is to be a person who moves out into his community knowing that in the end, we win. And it wasn't because of our it wasn't because of our cunning and skill and all that sort of stuff, but we win. That the that it's the the, the nail has been set, the die has been cast, however you want to say it, at the end of the day, we win. And friends, we get to participate in that victory. And how it will look really is depends on how much we're going to take this up. We win. We get to participate in the joy of it. I don't know about you, but I love football. And uh, if, I got to, if I got to play in a Super Bowl, it would be magnificent. And if you told me before the game that we were going to win, it would not spoil it for me in the least. And let me tell you, I don't know what your favorite thing to do would be to be in an ultimate Frisbee game or maybe to be in the, in the Philharmonic Orchestra or to dance a beautiful ballet or to, or, to, or to be an actor in a, in a show, or to be a baseball player in a game, or a soccer player scoring the, fun, the final goal for her team, whatever it might be, let me just tell you that. The, the gospel is that we win. And you get to play the game. Well, our text today is just this fantastic account of uh, something that, that happened. And it, these things don't happen again. It's a fantastic. The, the Holy Spirit was poured out in a, in a very special way on Peter and the apostles, and they were, they were doing miracles uh, in their day. And uh, even, even the, when the shadow of, of Peter fell upon some people, they were healed. And, and, uh, and so it, God had given this power to just sort of express and I think wake up the community to this reality of the, 
of the inauguration of the kingdom of God, and they were exercising these powers in Jerusalem. They were healing, and they were proclaiming the glories of God, and the high priests uh, were upset about that. The, the people who were keeping the status quo, the people who were, who were about religion, quite frankly, if I do that, religion in the gospel, Seuss may have talked about it this way before, but um, the gospel is really simple. The gospel says, or the religion is simple. God, religion says, I obey, and therefore I'm accepted. I do something, and then I'm accepted by God. And, and this gospel that we've been preaching, this gospel that we've been proclaiming, is that God accepts us. And out of that acceptance, we obey. And it's all differently. And so the religious leaders, the obey type, obey for your acceptance type, were really ticked that they're proclaiming <laughs> this wonderful gospel, that we're accepted and then we obey. And uh, they are filled with jealousy. And so in, in verse 17, it says that the high priest and his associates and all his associates uh, who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy and they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public jail. And... Uh, Probably, at least not in the very short term, you're not going to get arrested for proclaiming the glories of God uh, just with your life or even with your words in our society. But there is opposition to this proclamation. And I just want to say that if you're going to go out as Act 5 people, don't be surprised. I probably am not saying anything new to you at one level. Sometimes you just get snubbed. Uh, sometimes you get terrible hate mail. In the last month, I've gotten some of the worst hate mail I've ever gotten. Um, uh, one piece of mail said to me that I pray that every time something good happens to my family, uh, something bad will happen to yours. Um, I'm not saying that I get that kind of mail all the time, but um, there's a hate for... Um, the freedom that we have. And there's a hate uh, for this God that we worship. And if you're going to be missional people, you should know that from time to time, there's going to be this hate that comes toward you and this jealousy that comes toward you. And so I just want to make you aware of that and, and, uh, and acknowledge that today. We've been, I've been trying to be very encouraging. I hope you've been encouraged. But uh, the powers of, of hell and death the death nail has come, but they're not destroyed. Um, Revelation is a really interesting book, and in, in Revelation 12, there's this vivid picture of, of uh, this dragon and this woman and this baby, and it's essentially telling the story of the birth of Christ. And uh, the dragon, which is the sort of a personification, or a, uh, uh, what's the, it's not personification, it's... Um, well, it's a motif or a, 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 a metaphor for uh, the, the evil. Um, the, 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 the dragon goes wild when the child is born, but the child is born and the child is Jesus and then is, and then is essentially is immediately reigns and the, and the, and the uh, uh, dragon can't touch the child. But the dragon creates all kinds of havoc for the child's people. And... Uh, and let me just say that hell is, hell is mad. The, the forces and the power of hell are mad uh, because they know their fate. They know they're destined for death. Um, but they're going down fighting. And um, sometimes we conspire with those forces. Uh, and other times we just feel their presence. I guess the point that I just want to say is we're activated people. Be ready. Because the power of, of, of hell has been... Uh, it has been and is being dealt with, but it's not completely dead yet. And it's coming against us. And the apostles felt that that night. It says in verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord uh, opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. And I don't know, I kind of think it's kind of fun to think about an angelic uh, jailbreak, but uh, the, angel, uh, the angel said some important things to them. And this is sort of where I want to park, and I won't park too long because I've already gone too long. Um, the, the angel said this, go, stand in the temple courts, and tell the people the full message of this life. Um, that's sort of the heart of what I want you to sort of hear this morning, is it's really a commission for all of us in, in a sense. These angels uh, didn't just spring them to spring them because they belonged to Jesus. Uh, it would have been a nice thing to do, and I guess they could have done that, but angels are a messenger 
uh, the word angel means messenger, the messenger of God. And, the, and, and these angels me- gave a message for why they freed the apostles. And the reason was they wanted them to go and stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. Well, what does that look like for us? Is it just possible that this is the message that is pretty simple, isn't it? The, the message that's given to us, the, it's a reminder first is to go is that uh, we have to show up. It's a reminder that we've been sent into this mission, that this mission of Christ is our mission. We can either accept it or not accept it. We either can accept it and say, how is it, Lord, that you want me to be part of this mission? Or we can not accept it and be disobedient. But we've been called into this mission. And the question is, where do we go? Well, let me just make it real simple. Where where did the the, uh, apostles go? They went to the place where they lived. Uh, they, I'm, I'm to go to Marin. Uh, you're to go to San Jose or to Cupertino or to the Sunnyvale, where, where the town that you live in. Uh, to go is to accept this mission. To go is to accept what God has called you to. doesn't mean you need to quit your job. It doesn't mean you need to be go, go into full-time Christian ministry or vocational ministry. You're, you are a Christian. Everybody's a Christian minister. Uh, it means you're to acknowledge that you're sent into every place that God has providentially placed you to live in the reality of this six-act play that we're a part of. Uh, but notice it says to go into the temple courts. Now, the temple courts were the, were the place where people thought there was life. Um, and I think that's meaningful here. Uh, where are the people, where do the people in your community think that they can find life? Is it at Google? Is it at their job? Is it when we finally go public? Is that where real life is? We can make, uh, we can ask good things uh, to do things for us that they were never made. We can make an idol out of a good thing. Idols are not just bad things, right? Pornography or drinking too much. You know, those are not just idols. Actually, the most deceptive idols are the good things that we ask to be ultimate things. When we ask our family to be life for us, we're putting a heavy burden on our children, on our spouses. One of the cruelest things you can do for your spouse, one of the cruelest things you can do for your child, one of the cruelest things you can do to your parent is to ask them to be life for you. There's one giver of life. His name is Jesus. He's prepared. He's capable. He's, he's ready for the job. He's taken it on, and he endures that job. Let's give him that job to do. So we're to go to the places where people think there's life. Where do the people of your community think that there is life? And the message is to go there. And then what do we do when we get there? We're to stand. We're to be present. Uh, For some, this language might be helpful. It's it's to be incarnational, to incarnate the love of Christ, to enflesh it, to be there, just to show up, (laughs) right? Uh, Didn't Woody Allen say, you know, 90% of life is just showing up? I actually think he's really on to something, right? Just be there. Just be you. Just be you in the reality of this uh, kingdom having come and the reality of this kingdom coming in, in, in its fullness. Just be there and be the you that God has called you to be. Um, I, uh, I've coached Little League for 10 years because I love baseball and I love kids. And um, I think that there's so many lessons about life that can be learned on a ball field. And, um, and I, I, I'm actually pretty good at it. I went, when I was uh, uh, 21, 22 years, well, I was probably 25 years old, I knew that one day um, that I would want to have kids and God so blessed me that I'd want to coach them. But I knew that I couldn't coach very well at that time. Uh, in fact, uh, I remember playing third base and throwing the ball over the first, I'd, get the, I'd field the ball, and I'd throw the ball over the first baseman's head. And my coach at the time would just yell and scream at me, throw the ball to the first baseman. Like, dude, 
do you think I wasn't trying to do that? As I, did, I didn't do it successfully, but you know, it's like every time I made a mistake, he would yell at me about the mistake that I made. And it was patently obvious that I was well aware of the mistake that I made. What I didn't have were the tools to, to execute the throw better. And so I thought to myself, I don't want to be that coach who says the obvious and humiliates kids. I want to be the coach that equips kids. And so uh, I went to a baseball clinic. I actually called a college baseball coach who ran a clinic, and I said, this is going to sound weird to you, but I'm going to say it anyway. I would like to shadow you for the next week. I know you're having a clinic next week, and, uh, and uh, you're going to have all sorts of kids. I'll pick up balls. I'll participate in drill. I'll do, I'll do whatever you need. I'll, I'll go get the water. I'll feed the kids lunch. I'll do whatever you need. I'll just, I just want to hear you teach. Because I had all these friends at my company telling me that this coach was so good and uh, that I just had to learn from him. I had to go and hear how he taught. And so, um, so I went and I shadowed the guy for a week. And he was a master, master teacher. He just taught baseball in such a way that it just... It, it equipped, it's sort of like what I'm trying to do with the six-act play. I, I have hooks now for how to throw a baseball, for how to hit a baseball, for how to field a baseball. And uh, they're very, very helpful. I'll never forget them. And so I, I use them in my community because I love baseball. And so one of the things I encourage people, when you go and you stand, go do something that you love. Go do something that you're good at. Go do something that brings you joy and then give it away for free. And you'll be shocked at what happens. Um, I was coaching, uh, by, by God's grace, uh, I was a pretty good coach, and we, we played in the championship often. And in fact, uh, uh, we got in trouble for winning too much. And uh, like they, they made us split up our teams, and they accused me of running up scores and stuff like that. And, but one, I, was, I remember several times um, that I was on the baseball field, and I'm we're in the middle of a game. It's, it's the sixth inning, and we're down two runs in the championship game. And I'm walking to my position as a base coach, and the umpire stops me. And the umpire stops me and says, my mother is dying. Would you pray for my mother? After the game, um, uh, one, one day, uh, a father and a son stopped me, and they said, uh, hey, uh, Rod. And I said, yeah. He said, uh, I was just about to play in a game, and so I was getting prepared. I mean, I was in game mode, right? I was getting all ready to go. I was in game mode, and uh, one, of the, one of the fathers says, my son has a question for you. And he said, okay. He said, we, we drive to Manteca to these tournaments and uh, along 580, and as you go up over the hills after you pass Livermore, I think you're still on 580, um, after you pass the hills on, the, on 580, um, it says... Uh, it's, it's sewn into the side of the hill. Jesus is Lord. What, is, what does that mean? <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm getting ready for a ball game here. In my mind, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm preparing for a ball game. I can't talk about what... But here's the point, is that when you go and you stand and you're in your community, like even in San Anselmo, <laughs> you might just get asked, why is Jesus Lord? <laughs> and you've got to stop everything, and you've got to try to explain to a, to a third grader why Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. And I, I think I did say, I said, you know, that the Bible tells us that, uh, that there's a king, and his name is Jesus, and uh, that his kingdom has come. In fact, he's inaugurated the kingdom. It's not yet come in its fullness, but we're invited in. And I'd love to talk to you more about that. And uh, by God's grace, I have gotten to talk more about him. And one of, one of uh, the baseball players actually uh, was baptized last year. Uh, not many. I will have to tell you, it's been somewhat discouraging to spend 10 years coaching. But I will tell you, one of the greatest joys of my life last year, Gabe, Gabe came and, uh, and he said, uh, Pastor Ron, I, I think I want to be baptized. I want to talk about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord. And... Uh, what a great joy. The point that I'm trying to say is to go and stand. Go do something that you love to do. Go do it for free. Uh, go do it because God's made you in a special way. And then lastly, tell, tell the people the full message of this life. Um, it's, you know, um, the gospel really isn't a, a, a pity little thing to say. The, the gospel is a full mouthful. It really is a six-act play. And... Um, 
they didn't have a way of talking about, they didn't have a word Christianity at that time. Go tell them about Christianity or go tell them about, they said, well, tell them about, you know, this, this life that we have, this, the, this life that's been changed by what Jesus has done. And so we have to tell. And we tell people, I think we tell people verbally, we tell them non-verbally. But the question this morning is, what would it look like for your life to look like an Act 5 person? Do you have the humility, or are you, are you constantly defensive? If your neighbor criticizes the fact that you haven't um, uh, gotten rid of your non-native species, which my neighbor does all the time, do you take that as a defense and you get mad and tell them to kiss off? Or do you say, yeah, you know what, I should do something about that. I apologize that they're, you know, that they're uh, bearing their seeds and they're going into your yard. Yes, I'll do something about that. And yes, I will not, I will not use a pesticide. Don't worry. Thank you very much. That's a good reminder. They'll tell me exactly how I need to do it, right? I have a lot of neighbors who tell me exactly how I need to do everything. And, you know, can you do, can you take their, you know, can you take it? Or do you have to be defensive? You have to, you have to do it that way. Um, are you ready to tell somebody? I don't know. I hope I've helped you. Maybe you can tell your friends or your neighbors, you know, there's a story that's going on, and, and some crazy pastor told me about this six-act play and that we're a part of it. You have to be ready both verbally and non-verbally. This life is a life of confidence. It's a life that really does recognize that, that uh, we're part of a team that wins. We're part of a team. Jesus has won the victory. The victory is not complete. The victory is not fully ours, but the, I hope you've tasted victory. I hope you've asked God to forgive you for the ways in which you've rebelled against him and to receive you as Lord. If you haven't done that, let me encourage you. I would love to do that with you. I'd love for Pastor Seuss or Pastor Young to do that with you. It's a wonderful journey, and let me invite you into that. It's the greatest, it's the greatest um, day of your life at one level, but it's just the first day, and you're going to ask it many, many times over and over again. Uh, it's a life, th- this life is a, is a life of authenticity. It's a, it's a life that uh, has categories for things that we mourn over. But it also has categories for celebration. A Christian is a person who knows how to party. A Christian is a person who can raise a glass, whether it's a Diet Coke or a glass of wine or some grape juice. It's a, a person who can celebrate good things, celebrate a promotion, who can, who can, who can celebrate graduation, who can celebrate the fact that we just made it through the day, the fact that, the, that, the, that our, our bounce that was in the dryer lasted two cycles. We can celebrate those good things as a person, as a, a Christian's a person, a, a way of this life is a person of joy who, 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 who glories in the joys of other people's lives and the people around them. It's a person of humility um, who uh, doesn't have to be first in line at everything that they do, doesn't have to edge them out. It's a person of radical generosity. Would, people, would somebody say that about you? Would somebody say, you know, that, boy, um, that person is radically generous with their time with me. That person gives himself, you know, he's got all these talents, and he gets paid to do um, photography for a living, and yet he comes and he, and he takes pictures of, of the team, and he gives them away. Is that, is that said of you, that somebody's radically generous? Life is not a zero-sum game. If we give something away, it doesn't mean that we don't get anything. It's, it's, it's a, there's a radical promise in the gospel that the more you give, the more that you'll get. It's not, it's, it's not a quid pro quo. Don't think of it like that. But let me just tell you, you cannot outgive Jesus, and you cannot give your life away more. I'm, I'm a living proof. Uh, I gave away... Uh, stock options, and I gave away uh, uh, notoriety. People don't... Um, <laughs> uh, Seuss has used this language, so I hope it's not offensive, but white people don't consider pastors um, people of honor anymore. Uh, Caucasian people, secular Caucasian people in Marin County do not consider... They actually consider you a swindler. And so I, I, I traded being a a senior managing director for being somebody who's frowned upon in the community. And um, I've traded a lot, and yet I will just tell you this. I, 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 God has given back to me so many times uh, for uh, uh, my obedience to follow him, both as a banker when I was a banker and, uh, and both as a pastor. And, 
And it's a, it is a gift that keeps on giving. I think uh, some of us uh, are a little bit like Eddie Murphy in the movie Trading Places. I don't know. It's not a it's not a terribly edifying movie. So I can't. If there if there's a PG version, I recommend that. Okay, now watch it on TNT. But uh, Eddie Murphy is a hustler, and um, and uh, these two Duke brothers who are sort of these these uh, older white men are having this nature versus nurture. Uh, bet and so they basically take this homeless Eddie Murphy, who's an African American man, off the street, and uh, and basically say they're they're basically bet if we give him all the privileges, you know he'll 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 do the right thing, and the other guy says no no it's it's nurture or it's uh, nature he'll never do the right thing it's just the way he was wired, and so th in the very first scene they take Eddie Murphy off of the off of the street and they give him this wonderful Park Avenue apartment. I mean, it is decked out to the nines. They, they give him this wonderful suit of clothes and, they, and they're sort of explaining to him how they're basically giving him this life. And as they're saying, you know, you know um, uh, I can't remember his name in the, in the movie. Maybe it'll come back to me. But they're saying to Eddie, you know, hey, this apartment is yours. This butler belongs to yours. Yeah, 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 I get it, I get it. Uh, uh, everything in this apartment is yours. We're going to give you a job. We're going to give you a salary of eighty thousand. It was made in the eighties. Eighty thousand dollars a year, and uh, it was you know very impressive salary uh, for him. And as they're telling him, he's stealing things from the <laughs> from the apartment. He's taking like this ashtray is mine, right? And he sticks it in his pocket. And you know he's like every time they say something is yours, he sticks it in his pocket. I think that in many ways we actually kind of. Think of God's promises like that. Like, yeah, yeah, right, God. You're going to give us life forever. Light, right, right, God. You're going to give us joy and humility and grace. And you're going to change us. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we sort of steal as we go along. But listen, friends, uh, the full message of this life is that God's going to radically change you. And he's given you the power of the Spirit. He's given you a community. And he's given you a pastors to help you do that. And so I want to encourage you to go and to stand and to tell the world that this uh, wonderful life that, that we've been given. Just a couple things as I close. Uh, Act 5 living is, um, is what you were made for. And um, it doesn't happen alone. Uh, you're doing a great thing here, being with your family, being with your church family. Um, you cannot do this on your own. God instituted his church. There was one institution. I worked for a bank that, that uh, had made it through the Civil War. It was headquartered in uh, North Carolina, and it survived the Civil War. That was pretty impressive for a southern bank. It, um, it survived the Great Depression in the 30s. Um, it was rated AAA. There's not many AAA-rated banks in this, in this world. Um, it, was, it was rated AAA. There was all these debt crises in the... Uh, less developed uh, country debt crises in the 70s and real estate uh, crises. In the 70s. We made it through every one of those, right? And I thought, I, I really thought when I went to work for this company, this is just a great, this is, this is a company that's going to be around forever and ever. Do you know that in the Great Recession, the company went bankrupt? Um, what am I saying? Is that there's no, there's no institution bank. Um, there's no promise that the United States of America will last forever. Countries fall. Countries change. But there is one institution that God promised would last. And that's his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against her. And so God has given you a really great gift. It's called the Church of Jesus Christ. And um, be all in. And let the church uh, work with you and change you and shape you. And you know what? You're going to find people in the church that you don't like. And people who, who rub you wrong. And you know what? God has providentially put them there for you. <laughs> They're actually the best people in the church for you. Uh, don't avoid them. Uh, don't get grumpy with them. Learn what it's like to get along. But uh, they're actually providentially been given to you. Um, God's not going to poof into existence all the godliness that you uh, were made for. It's just not going to happen that way. He has normal means by which he does it, right? Uh, we talked about those yesterday. The means of grace are the ways in which God's going to shape and change you. Uh, prayer, going to him in prayer, uh, his word, 
what he's revealed in, in the scriptures to you. Worship. Worship changes you. There's nothing that changes you, I think, more than uh, worship. Uh, coming to the Lord's table, um, being, remind, being reminded of your own baptism when we have the, the privilege of celebrating a, uh, a, the baptism of a new believer or an infant. Um, being in fellowship um, shapes you. And, of course, being about the service that God calls us to. I've heard all these stories about Bishop. I wish maybe we can go with you someday and, uh, and participate in that. But, obviously, that's a means of grace that's really shaping this congregation. If you haven't participated, I'd just say you should do it next year and do that. Um, being always precedes doing. Um, we make a, there's a very common mistake in the Church of Jesus Christ, and that is that we, we flip our sanctification and our justification. We, we come to faith by God's grace. We, we see that the gift is free, the, this free gift that's been given to us, that we're, we've been made right and we've been made whole in the sight of God because the person work of Jesus is not our own. And then all of a sudden we start to do stuff, and then we think that our standing with God exists because of the stuff that we do. <laughs> It's a hideous, hideous way to live. And you'll know it, you'll smell it uh, in yourself, and you'll smell it in others. And let me just say, if, if you start to smell it in yourself, repent, okay? Turn away, uh, have a good cry, and have a good laugh. It's going to happen to you. If it's, it's happening to you and somebody else tells you about it, please have a category to not be defensive about it and say, is it just possible that I am being that kind of a jerk or being that kind of, that I'm, that I'm mixing myself up and I'm acting self-righteously? Give yourself a category to hear that kind of thing. And let me just finally encourage you with this. Uh, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this wonderful book to uh, the Corinthian church, which was a mess. And uh, it's called First Corinthians, or we talk about it as First Corinthians. And uh, in, in, in chapter 15, probably the, as magnificent a chapter as you could ever read in the scripture, he talks about what resurrection life is. And uh, at the end of the chapter 15, he, puts, he, he ends it with this, chapter 15, verse 58. He says, therefore, my dear brothers, my dear brothers and sisters, my dear family, stand firm. Uh, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, why would I end with that? Here's the point, is that somehow um, everything that you do that is uh, for the glory of God and for the good of yourself and the people who are around you, um, every contribution you make somehow I think what Paul is trying to tell us is going to be part of the story that's told. It's not part of the revelation of Scripture today, but it's going to be part of the permanent story that's told. All the rest of the stuff will go away. Maybe it will be a picture that you take. Maybe it will be a painting that you make. Maybe it will be a kind word or a hug, but it's going to be told in eternity. Remember what I said? I think when, when God brings his kingdom in his fullness, we're going to tell stories. And he might tell a story about the time you came and helped somebody, about the time that you listened to somebody who was in need, about the time that you woke somebody up to celebrate something good, about the time that you stood firm in the, in, when, uh, when somebody was trying to uh, defame or, or blaspheme God. Um, whatever it is, uh, each of those things that we do, somehow God is going to use is going to capture for eternity. And so I want you to say, like, there will be continuity between, between this life that we have and the one that we will live for eternity when God does everything in his fullness. And let me just encourage you to be about that life, to be about that life that will last forever. That's the promise of God, and uh, it's my encouragement to you. Well, let me just end with this. It's a joy to be with you. I love seeing generations of people come together and worshiping God together and loving God together. The greatest gift that you can learn is to tell the story to, your, to, uh, to uh, those who are younger than you and those who are older than you and to celebrate that story together. And I wish you Godspeed as you live as Act 5 people in San Jose. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for the... Um, for the joy that comes when brothers come together and sisters come together in unity. 
your church is wide and your church is deep and your church is uh, ageless. And we pray, Lord, that, that you would use um, whatever, I was, whatever I said this week that uh, um, accords with your word and with your will uh, for your good purposes. And, and I pray, Lord, that as we move out as Act 5 people, that we will bless our communities and, um, and that years from now, who knows when, that we will celebrate the good things that you've done in and through us. And Lord, we pray that you would enable us to speak and to love our, our um, children in such a way that we would pass on this, uh, this faith from generation to generation. Lord, thank you that we're recipients of your grace. We pray in your name. Amen.